Welcome to episode 177 of the Throwdown Thursday podcast. My name is Patrick Rahal, but you can call me Patsy the Angry Nerd. And we are, of course, brought to you by Deadly Grounds Coffee, as we are part of the Dorkening Network. And, of course, we are coming to you in the deep in the bowels of Magenta Manor here in the Pat Cave. And I am, of course, when I say we, it's because I am joined by my co-host on the show and my co-host in life. She is the real housewife of Transylvania. She is the mistress of Merlot. She is the Michael Phelps of wine and the queen of the monsters. Ladies and gentlemen, Ashes of a Nightmare. Can you count suckers? I can count. I see one sucker. You. (laughs) (laughs) No, it's funny because, you know, what we're talking about today, the most quoted line uh, from the film is the can you dig it? But I think the funniest part I don't think is when he says it like that. Well, they say it exactly like that. I don't know where you've been. Can you dig it? That's a bingo. <laughs> That's a bingo. Um, wine. <laughs> it's good wine. But the funniest line is when Cyrus is starting his whole spiel. And everyone is is lined up and you know circled around him, and he's on the the playground platform, and he's just like, "Can you count suckers?" And I giggle every time he says that. That is not how he says it. He's like, "Can you count suckers?" I say, "The future is ours if you can count." So apparently, uh, grammatic grammatic uh, correction is not. Something that he's overly concerned with because he says use. I don't think that's something that any of them are concerned with, especially at that point in time. I mean, it's uh, there are certain points where he he talks trash or something. There's a guy smoking a joint and he points him out, and you won't. There's only certain cuts that you see this in, and he says, "You smoke that, you finished. You'll go junky, you'll get busted, and that's the life they got for you." And it's just like I don't know why they cut that out. But yeah, we're going to be talking about the Warriors today from 1979, as it is the 40th anniversary, and we are going to be uh, at the VIP party uh, with the Warriors at Super Mega Fest this Saturday, and I'm super, super excited about that. But uh, can you can you dig it? I uh, definitely can dig the things that are diggable, and lots of things are diggable. You could use a shovel, you could use a, a spade, a pickaxe. Uh, I don't know, what else, a spoon? Like, if you have a lot of time, you could use a spoon. I don't think it's a, I don't think it's a literal statement. I think it's like a, like a metaphorical, like a. Like a when you say, when you say that's cool, you're not saying like, hey, that's moderately cold. You know, when you call something cool, it's I like, don't hey, ever that's say anything's cool. I'm like, awesome. wow, that that's is room slow. temperature, slightly chilled. No. So yeah, think. we're talking about the Warriors about today, which dead. is pretty cool. It's one of Patsy's favorite movies. To the point where uh, the theme that plays over the closing credits in the city was used at our wedding to introduce uh, myself or the my side of the wedding party. Actually, the entire wedding party on uh, my parents and uh, my groomsmen. Not your ladies, but like my side of the the people that they were like. It in. was it was their entrance music. Yeah, because I was when like, were everybody should have entrance the venue music before the ceremony. Because it's very uh, well, and we'll touch on this later on, obviously. But it's very uh, important to both my uh, myself and uh, my family because, again, we'll we'll 
talk about that later on. But uh, we have some getting into character stuff. So why don't you introduce that today? So we have a kind of a fun getting into character question for today. We're posing the question, if you could run a warrior style New York gang, what would your name be? And what would your shtick be? Because all of the gangs and the warriors, they kind of have like a, a fun thing that they do. Like the baseball furies are all dressed up in the baseball uniforms and they beat people with the bats and stuff. And you sound like the, Bill Cardin, the beat people with I'm the I'm sorry, bats I'm really stuffy and it's, it's, cold season has been horrible here no, in Massachusetts. I, I do want to say, like, I'm, I'm having a hard time yeah. breathing right now. So if you continue to make fun of me, Patsy, you're going to be doing this show alone. Well, I mean, I could do so. I would be Han Sholo. Solo show, Sholo. Get it? See that? Uh, yeah. I got puns, sucker. So, uh, yeah. That there was were, fucking lame, dude. That well, was fucking lame. I don't care. Uh, so I asked you a question. Well, before you decided to repeatedly make fun of me, I asked you a question. No, so no, I believe if you could. <clears throat> oh no, I know, I know what the question is. I know what my answer is. But see, there are a lot of gangs in this movie, and there are a lot of gimmicks. So I just, I just want to go over the list of the gangs that are in this movie. <clears throat> the Alley Cats, the Amsterdam All Stars, the Baseball Furies, the Black Hands, the Black Jacks, the Big Trains, the Boppers, the Boyle Avenue Runners, the Charlemagnes, the Colt Forty Fives, the Dealers, the Delaney Rovers, the Destroyers, the Dingoes, the E Street Blazers, the E Street Shufflers, the Easy Aces, the Electric Eliminators, Eighth Street Bombers, Eighth Street Eighth Avenue Apaches, the Fastballs, the Fifth Street Bombers, so that not to be confused with the other bombers, the Fillmores, the Fire Starters. Oh, no, I'm sorry. Fire Tasters. The Five Points, the Gerards, the Gladiators, the Gohards, the Gunhill Dancers. The Gramercy Riffs, the Hi-Hats, the High Rollers, the Homeboys, the Hoplites, the Howitzers, the Hucks, the Hurricanes, the Imps, the Jesters, the Jones Street Boys, the Judas Bunch, the Jupiters, the Knockdowns, the Knuckles, the Lizzies, the Locos, the Magicians, <gasps> the Meat Packers, the Mongols, the Moon Runners, the Napoleons, the Nickel Stakes. The Knight Riders, the Ninth Avenue Razors, the Orphans, the Panzers, the Phillies, the Plainsmen, the Punks, the Queensbridge Mutilators, the Real Boys, the Red Hook Shooters, the Roadmasters, the Rogues, the Romans, the Runaways, the Saracens, the Saratogas, the Savage Huns, the Shanghai Sultans, the Southern Cross, the Speedwagons, the Sports, the Steve Doors, I don't know what that is, the Stilettos, the Stonebreakers, the Terriers, the Turks, the Turnbull ACs, the Van Cortland Rangers, the Warriors, the Whispers, the Xenophones, the Xylophones, the Yo-Yos, the Youngbloods, the Zodiacs, and the Zulus. So bearing all that in mind, I had to come up with a gimmick that hadn't been done and a right. name that hadn't been picked. But like, not all of those were featured in the film. No, but every one of those was scripted. All okay. of those were in the script. We see, several, uh, we see several hundred gang members at the big meeting in Coney Island. Some of them are named like uh, the Jones Street Boys and the Saracens and the Moon Runners and the Van Cortland Rangers because Cyrus mentions them in his speech. We see the Electric Eliminators. We see a few other gangs. Uh, we can only identify a few of them because of their, their, um, their what you call it, either through the credits or their gang colors that they're wearing, like the Rogues or the Electric Eliminators. So there's quite a few. There's like those fucking guys that are dressed like elves for some reason, the guys that are dressed like mimes that are apparently the hi-hats. So you have to find someone, a name that hasn't been taken and a gimmick that hasn't been taken. Um, so I, of course, went with uh, a name that has been taken, just not by this movie, The Sharks. 
we would have like these sweet gray leather vests and like there would be five slits cut in them, you know, intentionally. Like that would be part, you know, as like the gills as you prog- as you progress up, like that's when you get more more gill slits like the like the lower guys wouldn't have any than as you get higher and higher. And then the top guy, because as we saw in like with the Gramercy riffs, they had like their street level guys that had like the orange geese. It almost looked like, you know, karate outfits. And then from there, you know, they had everybody had like a different what amounted to a fancy bathrobe. So everyone would have a different thing. You know, some people would have fins. Some people would have, you know, uh, you know, different colored uh, leather vests, you know, to indicate their their rank. Like you'd start off as a guppy and work your way up to like a minnow <laughs> and then you'd be. I'm a guppy. Yeah. So you'd work your way up, you know, and then there'd be like different divisions. Like if you were a, a leader, but you and you only had a few people under, you'd be like a hammerhead and like you you. Everything would be based on your speciality. But, yeah, we'd be the sharks, and our thing would be we would uh, bite people. That would be our fighting style. We'd just bite the shit out of you. Delicious. But, yeah. And you could only get into our uh, our gang if you had uh, three years of jazz tap because that's the way the sharks do. Have Have you had three years of jazz tap? <sighs> I've had, like, 15 jazz tap. Uh, I do a little uh, soft shoe every now and then. I'm just kidding. I don't. I don't. I don't you have no that. idea what the hell you're talking about right now, do I you? I know that those are <laughs> words that go together. Jazz tap is a thing. It is. Yeah. See, I know those go together. I couldn't tell you if someone was doing it in front of me. I wouldn't be like, "That's certainly jazz tap." I couldn't tell you the difference between that and like regular tap. But I don't know. But that would be me. What What about you? What would you do? Okay. So, so I'm gonna take you on a little bit of a journey with this. I kind of want to. I want to paint a picture in your mind. So we would be called the Flushing Queens. Ha <laughs> ha, get it? Because Flushing is a neighborhood in Queens. Yeah, Flushing Meadows is where the Jets used to uh, practice, I think. And my gang would be made up of drag queen Fran Fine the nanny impersonators. That's certainly a specific genre. Right? Like, how amazing would that be? So every person would be wearing an outfit styled and inspired by one of the episodes of The Nanny, and it would be amazing. And we would, like, kill people with our stilettos and strangle people with the straps of our designer purses. See, I was was imagining the uh, picture from Hotel of the Mysteries by uh, David McCauley. Which is, uh, it's supposed to be like a, a future civilization digs up like our current civilization and tries to figure out what different artifacts are used for, similar to what we do now. And like there was a picture of like a, a royal looking woman wearing like a toilet seat around her neck, like it was a, a necklace <laughs> with the uh, with the the lid behind her head. Like it's it's. It's really awesome. It's so cool. I I highly recommend this book, Hotel of the Mysteries by David McCauley. It's amazing, and the artwork is second to none. Okay, but we yeah, so we wouldn't take flushing literally. If you've ever seen the nanny, you know that the plungers, (laughs) toilet brush to the face, take that. Um, No, no, it it wouldn't be. I'll beat you into feces pieces. Thank you, Patrick. 
Um, no, so it wouldn't be that gross. We'd actually be a very fabulous group. Like if you've watched The Nanny, you know the beginning of the theme song was she was working in a bridal shop in Flushing, Queens. Mm-hmm. So that's where I was inspired from. I was like, oh my God, New York style gang. It's right there in the song. We can be the nanny. <laughs> Mr. Sheffield. Well, you know, I uh, I think that would be a very... Oh like my said, God, we can specific. have like shoes where our heels are actually concealed knives, like in the heel, where all we have to do is just take the sheath off and then we can stab you to death with our shoes. Yeah, you could do that. And well, then I put the sheath back good. on and then, you know, go for a stroll. There was a... Go um, shopping. There's actually... A, um, it's very practical. Not too many people saw it because it wasn't the best series and I think it could have been handled much better. But uh, in Wu Assassins, one of the uh, one of the characters has blades in her heels and she goes into the police station and then when she gets into the uh, she passes through the metal detector and then when uh, she gets into the elevator she takes the bl- the sheaths off the blades of her shoes so she has blades in her shoes she starts kicking everybody in the neck see that would be really cool that's it, what we would and do it worked out really well so that would be a good idea so i know you didn't watch that but i'm just you know i did and i was like oh that Obviously has some practical usage because it worked very well in the show already. I feel like we would be the most fabulous gang New York ever knew. Yes, probably super fabulous. So, if you have a gang that you want, you think would be uh, would fit in really well with this this whole genre of of nineteen seventies, late seventies, early eighties gang films, uh, let us know. Shoot us a message at uh, throwdownthursdaypodcast.com. dot com. Tell us what you think. Or you I'm know, sorry, you can, at gmail.com. I was gonna say you can hit us up on social media. That's probably easier. Yeah, either way, you know, however you wanna send it to us. But uh yeah, throw it on Thursday Podcast at gmail dot com. Give us your, your ideas because you that way you can be long winded. So tell me what tell us what you think. So I think with that. Yeah, not just said, you, you can tell me too. Yeah, I know. I wanna know. Don't tell her, only tell me. Yeah, go fuck yourself. So with that being said, we're going to take a quick break, and when we come back, we are going to get into our discussion about the Warriors. Stay right where you are and listen to some fun ads. Deadly Grounds Coffee knows how important your coffee is to you. Every batch is roasted to perfection with a unique special method that brings out the richest, deepest, smoothest flavor you'll ever find. We're coffee freaks, too, and deadly serious about our brew. Just one sip and you'll know why we say, once you go deadly, you don't go back. It's truly coffee to die for. So when you're ready to get a little deadly, get online and order yours at getdeadly.com. It's coffee so good, it's scary. Saturday and Sunday, November 16th and 17th at the Sheraton Hotel in Framingham, Massachusetts. It's Super Mega Fest, featuring the 40th reunion of the cast of the Warriors, WWE Hall of Famer Ted DiBiase, the Million Dollar Man, John Connor from Terminator 2, Edward Furlong, and appearing Saturday only, Baywatch's Carmen Electra, as well as Who's the Boss star, Tony Danza. Also in attendance will be Comic Book Artists, the New England Horror Writers, Living Dead Press, Cosplayers, and more. 
For ticket information, guest availability, and the full schedule of events, including photo ops and panel discussions, go to NewEnglandSuperMegaFest.com for all the details. Hi, I'm Dominic Pace, star of Sci-Fi Channel's Megalodon. This is Emma! Hi, my name is Kurando Mitsutake, director of Gun Woman and Karate Kill. Hi, this is Samantha Newark, the voice of Jem and Jerrica from the original Jem and the Holograms cartoon series. Hey guys, this is James Thomas, director of Megalodon. Hi guys, this is Dee Wallace from E.T. and Cujo. Hi, I'm Mike Price. I'm a writer on The Simpsons. I co-created Epis for Family. And you're listening to Patsy the Angry Nerd and Ashes Von Nightmare. You're listening to Throwdown Thursday. And you're listening to Throwdown Thursday podcast. And you are listening to Throwdown Thursday. And you're listening to Throwdown Thursday. And you're listening to Throwdown Thursday. And you're listening to Throwdown Thursday podcast. And we are back. We have decided to come out to play. Yay. Uh, that, of course, David Patrick Kelly playing his iconic character, Luther, that you just heard uh, coming back from break here. What does that look for? We've decided to come out to play. Yay. That's what the man said. He was the clinky the bottles altogether. He said it a little more in, in, in like a, a, a more of a badass way. Uh, I come out the play, yay. I wouldn't refer to David Patrick Kelly in any way, shape, or form as badass. Well, I mean, it, it was definitely uh, an attempted menacing he was way. Definitely growlier and uh, a little more intense. Come so. out the play, yay. <laughs> come on out and play. Are you Barney? No, that's not what. Oh, oh, that Barney. I was thinking Barney Gumble. No. Um, so. This movie, if you have not seen it, this movie takes place uh, over a period of a single night. And according to Walter Hill, the director, it's supposed to be set in the near future. But that was 1979. So that, I mean, that could have been what? Well, the, the near 81. Yeah, well, yeah, the near future of 1979. It could have been like six months from the air date. Right. So, I mean. You know, there's nothing like specifically futuristic about any of it. No, no. Like there's no. It's not exactly like it's, you know, like a, it's sci-fi or anything. It's just... So this is based on the 1965 novel by Saul Urick of the same name, which itself was loosely based on Xenophon's Anabasis, or Anabasis, specifically the Battle of Kunaxa, in which, you know, several soldiers, you know, heavily outnumbered, are deep within enemy lines and must fight their way back home to the sea. Um it's a, a Greek Greek story. So we see a lot of the similar elements with the warriors where, you know, they're outnumbered and slowly their numbers are dwindling as they go through these uh, series of battles. They get separated, they reunite, and they eventually make it back home. And they, there's even a line at the end where Swan says, when we figure the ocean, we figure we're home, we're safe, which was the whole point of this Battle of Kunaxa. So 
this film takes place, uh, starts off in Coney Island, and there is a big meeting that all these guys are going to because one of the, the president of the biggest gang in the city, and by city they mean New York City, wants to unify all of the gangs and basically run New York. And he has this great plan, great idea, but things go south when he gets um, shot and killed. Right, because one of the stipulations for meeting at this meeting is that you cannot be packing. Yeah, no weapons. And they also use the term, he doesn't want anybody packed and he doesn't want anybody flexing any muscle. So don't be acting like a dick and like trying to show how tough you are. Because there were uh, each gang, there were 100 gangs that were invited to this meeting. And each gang was to send nine delegates. So you have 900 gang members in one area. I mean, there were more of the Gramercy Riffs because they are the biggest, baddest gang, and it was their leader who was giving this speech. So unbeknownst to anyone except for one warrior and the gang who perpetrated the crime, the Rogues, Cyrus is shot and killed by a member of the Rogues, and he blames the Warriors. But the Warriors don't know this. The Warriors did did it! it! The Warriors did it! But... The Warriors don't know this because in the pandemonium of the uh, aftermath of the gunshot, not only were all the gang members running in different directions, the police had shown up. So there was like 20 squad cars and, you know, hundreds of cops trying to corral all of these gang members all in one place at the same time. So it was just absolute pandemonium. And this is when the Warriors lose their first member. So there's nine members of the Warriors. There's Cleon, who is the leader, and then he appoints... There's a Again, there's a, there's a couple of different versions of this movie where some will show all of the scenes and some will show some of the scenes, but you can't get one version that has the complete film. I've been unable to find it. And that's actually because... So some of the scenes were filmed during the day at Coney Island, uh, kind of giving a little bit of backstory on the Warriors and leading up to the events of the evening. The rest of the film is filmed at night. And so when they were putting the entire uh, film together, they thought it looked kind of weird that only the first couple of shots were shot during the day and everything else took place at night. So that's why they decided to kind of pull some pieces from here and there. And that's why some of the opening shots look a little off. Yes. Like, they don't quite match up to what the discussion the discussion that's taking place. Like, there's even a scene where um, Cleon is talking to Ajax, and when you see Cleon, he's, you know, he's got this headband on with this, like, leopard print, like... It's a rag. Yeah. Like a bandana like, type thing. Yeah, and he's holding that in place to signify his role as the leader. You know, something to... Because everyone's wearing the same, essentially, uniform, you know, the same colors... So there's got to be something to distinguish the leader from everyone else. So he's wearing that. So when it shows him talking to to Ajax, played by James Ramar, you see this, you know, the, the, the bandana in place. But when they switch and they see Ajax speaking back to him, you see the back of Cleon's head. You just see his curly hair. You don't see the bandana is completely gone. So, like, there are some continuity shots that have a little bit of uh, but that's yeah but that's but the that's reasoning what you're talking it's about. because they decided that it looked it looked too off it didn't look right having the day shots with the night shots which i mean if you think about it it really it it would make sense because you know they're getting things ready they're talking about it during the day the meeting wasn't until at night you know the nighttime and then everything else takes place following 
those events. But but anyway, so that's the reason why right. there are two separate beginnings. So uh, in some of the like anniversary editions and whatnot, you can get the daytime version that gives you a little bit more backstory as to who these characters are and who's been appointed what versus right. the nighttime version where they just kind of quickly throw something together to give you a little bit of information. And they really don't even, like, they give you, like, a couple of conversations to kind of give you the personalities of each character. But if you see the the opening, and this is how we kind of get introduced to these characters, you have Cleon as the leader, and, you know, he's talking to his girlfriend, and she's like, I have a bad feeling about this, you shouldn't go. And he's like, man, you don't know nothing. You know, you're a girl. So then he has his nine, uh, his eight selected gang members that he wants to pick out of this you know, massive gang, however many hundreds of, of soldiers they've got. So he picks Swan as his war chief. Swan is Michael Beck. And then he starts assigning roles to each one. There's a character named Vermin. And he said, Vermin, you're the bear, which means, you know, you're the biggest, the toughest, the strongest. You're the guy who's going to, you know, be our enforcer, so to speak, which doesn't really fit to him, but whatever. Then there's Rembrandt, who is, you know, he's a young, young kid. He's probably like, 15, 16, compared to these other guys who are late teens, early 20s. And he's a guy who's supposed to tag everything. He's got the spray paint. He's supposed to tag everything. And Cleon even tells you, I want you to hit everything in sight. I want people to know that the Warriors were there. Fox, played by Thomas Waits, who you might know from uh, The Thing. He was Windows. He is uh, assigned to be the scout and memory man. So, like, go ahead, make sure things are safe, find out where the trains are, this and that. That's his job. Everybody else is pretty much just a soldier. So there's Cochise, there's Snow, there's Cowboy. You want to guess what his gimmick is? Uh, Ajax, and I think that's it. There's nobody else. Swan, Snow, Cochise. Yeah. yeah, so that's all of them. So we get to the meeting. Ajax is kind of like a really rough around the edges, like, doesn't play well with others, respect authority type guy. He respects Cleon, but after the meeting happens, Cleon is the one who is blamed for shooting Cyrus, so the Rifts absolutely just beat him to death with their bare hands. Right, and you don't actually see that, but it's pretty much understood that Cleon did not make it out of that situation alive. Like, there's even a scene right afterwards when they kind of escape the the catastrophe that's going on by punching through a, a, a wall and escaping into a graveyard where Swan's like, okay, this is what we're going to do. And he's like, well, who made you leader? Like, I have a, you know, I have a just as much right to take over as you. And they're like, well, Cleon named Swan war chief. Like, that means he's the second in command. You know, he's got a level head. He's cool. He's collected. You know, and Ajax is like, well, right now, Cleon's most likely got a nightstick shoved halfway up his ass, you know, and... That's fair because he probably did. Probably yep. did. Yeah, it was not. Uh, it was not a good time to be Cleon at that moment, or really any of the gang members. So, in addition to you know their their concern, they're like, okay, we have to get home to Coney Island. It's thirty two miles from the Bronx to Coney Island, and they have to take subways there. So you know you're relying on this, and it's late at night. So not only do they have to go through all these other gang territories, they also have the cops out looking for them. And like that's one of the first things I think of is like you know. I'm not worried about how far it is. I'm more worried of, like, is the truce still on? Because if it's not, we're going to have to fight all the way back. And we're so far from our home, we don't have any weapons because that was part of the stipulation of coming to this meeting. Right. And they don't have their entire gang with them because they only brought nine delegates with them. And they're already down one. Right. Because Cleon's gone. So now 
it's eight. So they have to start, you know, they have to figure out where the subway is because this isn't their territory. This isn't where they normally, uh, you know, operate because it's not their turf. So not only are they in a foreign area, you know, it's it's really a brilliant story the way it's told, you know, and you can see how it's based on military uh, exploits. Well, they also do a really good job of, in the short time that they have, because this film is only 90 minutes, of establishing these main characters, letting you know who these characters are, and getting you to really care about these characters. So when they do make it home to Coney Island, granted they're down a couple of people at that point, you know, you, you really feel for them, you know, and you feel like that sigh of relief once they make it home and then... The... You feel their exhaustion as right, well. Right, right. Like, you see everything that they go through. You know, there's a reason why you find yourself rooting for them and not the other gangs that they come into contact with. Because none of these guys are, like, good guys. I mean, like, well, I mean, like, they're all gang people. Like, they're, you know, it's... it's, And that's kind of established. Like, they, they've all done some pretty crappy shit and they say some pretty crappy shit too and you see the 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 loyalty they have for each other and like you get to see why as they travel through you get to see why they were given the roles that they were by cleon so cleon was actually a good leader so as we as we see them in the in the cemetery they're like okay we have to get this next train and swan says listen if you get separated all the trains meet at uh the 96th street station that's where we'll meet because that's the last stop we need to get to. He doesn't come out and say this. It's implied. But meet at the 96th Street Station if we get separated. That's where you want to go because that's the last place you can take, get the train to Coney Island. Straight shot from there. So they get to uh, the first subway. But while they're waiting for the subway, there's a school bus just absolutely overloaded with, with gang members. And this gang is called the Turnbull ACs. There's about 75 of them. 75 is a lot more than 8, and they're kind of concerned because where the bus is coming is exactly where they have to go, so... Well, I was just say, fun fact about the Turnbull ACs. So, these actors went in costume to go get food, and wherever they went, the patrons at this, this fast food place thought they were actual gang members and got scared and left. Like left the restaurant, like like they and but and they weren't obviously they weren't acting in a specific manner or a a, ma- a manner uh, known to gang members, right? But you know, just because they were they were still in costume and makeup and stuff, they hadn't undressed because it was in between takes and stuff. They had just gone to get food. Yeah, they actually scared the patrons out of the fast food place. And there was a lot of this stuff with gangs because there were actual gangs. Uh, I think one of the gangs was called the Homicides. That was sending death threats to the uh, the main guys, to the main actors. The, yeah, everyone. They're like, "This is our territory. You cannot wear gang colors in our territory." So, like, they were able to make this this like uneasy truce, where it's like, okay, you know, they're only going to wear it on set. Like, you know, we'll have specific boundaries. They won't go offset wearing their their uh, costumes, essentially. Like, for them, it's a costume, but to these rival gangs, like, this is a very serious thing. Like, they they were not, like, they weren't kidding about this. They're like, we will kill people. You know, like, what these guys were playing, this was the real shit. Well, they actually hired a gang called the Mongrels 
Uh, they gave them $500 a day to act as security. Yes. Uh, to protect their equipment and stuff because some stuff had been stolen. Mm-hmm. And so they said, well, instead of trying to hire outside, you know, like hire a bunch of security guards that's going to cost us way too much money. Why don't we just hire these gangs, these local gangs to not only be in the film, but to help, you know, protect the equipment and, that's and provide security and stuff. Right, right. But it would have cost them so much more to actually hire security. Right. Where it'd be like, hey, we will give your gang $500 a day to secure this area and make sure that nothing gets taken away. And that's pretty much easy money for some of these guys. Oh, yeah. Like, that's you know? the so... least amount of work you have to do. So they get on the train and they're able to narrowly escape the Turnbull ACs. And after a while, the train ends up getting shut down because there's a fire and they're in the, the, the territory of these this low-level gang called the Orphans. And they end up having a fight. And this is where we meet Deborah Von Valkenberg's character, Mercy. She's such a badass character. Real tough chick. And that's the other thing. Like, this movie, uh, there's not a lot of dialogue that really holds up to today's standards. Oh, no, this this movie does not age well as far as that stuff is concerned. It's still a great film, and they still show it pretty frequently in some cases. Yeah, it's got a cult following the way, Um, like, Rocky Horror does. Right. But uh, parts of the film really didn't age well. Like, there's a scene where after they encounter Mercy, and she's like, go, give me one of your vests, and they're like, yeah, go fuck yourself, and she starts, you know, really laying into the leader of the orphans, and she's like, I'll tell you, some man you are. And, like, that sparks the conflict, but she's like, she views this as her opportunity to get away from these guys and go towards this upper-level gang. And they even say to her, Swan says to her, you know, because she's a woman of ill repute in the neighborhood. And he even says to her, he goes, maybe we ought to run a train on you. You look like you might even like it. This is where a lot of the, uh, some, of, some of the book stuff kind of uh, seeps into the film. Because in the film, it's, they're all adults. In the book, these are all kids. Like a lot of these kids like are working at a youth, or not working, but are part of a youth center. Like they're in their early to mid-teens. And there's a scene where, you know, when they meet up with Mercy, they actually kill a guy and then they take turns raping her on his dead, bleeding body. So they really toned oh. things down oh, hey. for the movie. <laughs> oh. Yeah. It, the book is very dark. Wow. That's, uh, yeah. Yeah. They stab so... him in the stomach and then proceed to rape her in the street and then laugh about it. Like, laugh about killing him and raping her. So they actually classed these guys up quite a bit. So Well, I mean, especially the relationship that she ultimately has with Swan or is beginning with Swan. She really gravitates towards him and they have some moments. But he's really respectful towards her. Well, I mean, that's his character. He, you know, he's not an asshole, but like he will do what he needs to do for the benefit of his guys. But if you are going to be a detriment, and we see this later on, but if you're going to be a detriment, he'll leave you behind. If that's your decision, like, he's not going to babysit you. Like, he will protect you as long as you're with him. But if you decide, I don't need you, okay, good luck. And so we see this after they fight the 
the orphans, they get to another train station, and they're waiting, and they're waiting, and they're waiting, and then police show up. So they all just scramble. They all go off into different directions. So Fox and Mercy run off one way. Uh, Snow, Swan, Ajax, and Cowboy run off a different way. They go up to the street, and then Cochise, Rembrandt, and Vermin run off a different way. So they've all gone three different directions. And Fox ends up getting tackled by a cop, and he tells Mercy to run. And in the struggle with the cop, he gets thrown in front of an oncoming subway car, and that's it for him. Bye. Yeah. So Mercy escapes and, and takes off. But she knows about meeting at the 96th Street Station somehow. Later on, we see Cochise and his crew meet up with a group of young ladies all wearing the same shirt, indicating that they are indeed a gang. But we cut away from that to perhaps the greatest scene in the movie and the scene to which I was, uh, through which I was introduced to this film. Um, I had come in, I think I was around 11, and I had been playing outside. My dad was watching the movie, and I came inside because uh, it was time to have some soup. I think we were having a grilled cheese and tomato soup. And I come in, and my dad's watching the movie. I'm like, what are you watching? He goes, the Warriors. Oh, this is a good part. Sit down, watch, 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 watch. So I'm like, well, all right. And the four of them, you know, so Cowboy, uh, Cowboy Snow, Swan, and Ajax all come up onto the street, and they're looking around. They're like, where are they? You know, where's, where's, you know, where's the rest of the gang? Look around, and there's all these dudes in face paint and baseball uniforms swinging bats. And it's dark out. There's nobody on the streets, and there's just all these guys just, and they're like, they're kind of looking at each other like, what the fuck is this? And AJ, uh, Swan goes, maybe we better take off. And Ajax is like, yeah, right. So they they run off, and then the Baseball Furies chase them. And Ajax is like, did we lose these fucking clowns or what? And then you see him come up over a hill. And there's there's nine of them. They're a baseball team. There's nine of them. So they all, they're running through the streets, and like Barry Dvorzon's, uh Baseball Furies theme is playing, which we'll play at the end of this break, uh, coming back into the next segment so you can hear how fucking awesome it is. But it's just this really intense scene, and they're they're getting chased, and all of a sudden, Snow, uh, a swan yells at Snow, and they peel off, and they run off to the side, but Cowboy and, and uh, Ajax are still running, but Cowboy's like, I can't, I can't make it anymore. So they stop, and then they get surrounded. But if you watch closely, you can see... Swan and Snow come curl around and come up behind the the slowest runner, beat the shit out of him and take his bat, and then charge into the fight. And Ajax has one of the better lines of the movie when he tells the guy, uh, after Ajax beats up one guy and then the leader clubs the shit out of uh, Cowboy, so he's useless, he's out of the fight. He looks at, Ajax looks at the leader and goes, I'll shove that bat up your ass and turn you into a popsicle. And then the guy does like this series of cool like bat flips, which uh, don't do any good because Ajax beats the shit out of him and takes his bat. Now, these guys probably would have won the fight had they not just stood there like there's one guy just kind of standing there and Ajax just like walks up behind him and clubs him in the fucking spine. Yeah, but like so in my opinion, the Baseball Furies are the coolest gang in this film. Like obviously the Warriors are pretty cool, but but the Baseball Furies, oh my God, they are look amazing they all have their face painted in different ways and different colors some guys are half and half some guys just have a yeah, ring around the right you know but but they all have different colors and stuff but all of their faces are painted and i love that and just the costumes and everyone has a baseball bat and um 
the baseball furies were actually created. They all have cleats. By well, well, I mean, yeah, they're baseball players, which are not conducive to running in the street. But the baseball furies were actually created by Walter Hill because of his love of baseball and the band Kiss. And we see, and he decided he's like, you know what would go great with baseball players? Glam metal rock. Well, you can definitely see the Kiss influence on the face paint. No, you can. You absolutely can. But Um, it's brilliant. Like it's so colorful and but menacing when you see these guys and they run in uniform too. Yeah, they. I don't mean like obviously they're wearing uniforms, but they they run together. They do everything like a team would. Right. So you know when they're running, it's like right, left, right, left. It's it creates this very just just just. A very just cinematic, meta- yeah, like like it's yeah. very menacing but very effective and just super cool. Yeah, I think that they're definitely the most fun to watch. They definitely Ajax line is probably the best line, one of the better lines of the entire film. Very it's quotable. The second best, I, and I'll get to the best line later on. Uh, but yeah, I just I love like someday I'm gonna cosplay, do like a baseball furious thing. Mm-hmm. It's gonna be great. Now, this is not the first time we get to see the Baseball Furies. Earlier in the film, after everything happens and the Warriors escape and they get uh, they haven't gotten past the Turnbulls yet, but after the meeting, after all the, the commotion and chaos of, of, of Cyrus getting killed and the cops showing up, the leader, the now leader of the Rifts, says he wants all of the Warriors. He wants them alive if possible, if not wasted. He just wants them. And there's a radio station that all the gangs listen to. And if you remember, where in the world is Carmen San Diego? I used to love the that DJ show. The DJ is Lynn Thigpen. Do it, Rockapella. And she sits there, and you only Lynn see her mouth the whole time. Is Carmen San Diego? And she's like, she's like, we got word from the Gramercy Riffs. You know, we have a special request for the Warriors. That's that real live bunch from Coney, and I do mean the Warriors. Here's a hit with them in mind. And then she turns on Nowhere to Run, which is like the signal to all these gangs. And you see all these different gangs listening to the music. And one one of the gangs, we see the Furies come up out of a baseball stadium. And as they're coming up the stairs, they're grabbing bats off the wall. And, it's- and again, it's just such a cool, like, cinematic concept. You know, it's just they're just grabbing the baseball bats, but it makes for a really cool scene. Yeah. These guys are just so cool. Like, if I were to join an already established gang, I would absolutely be a baseball fury. And that's fair. You just like the makeup. I Well, I and do. But, like, the shoes look really cute, running. too. There's a lot of running. There is a lot of running. Oh, and I have asthma. That could be bad. <sighs> so, after defeating... After defeating them, they're walking through the park, through, I'm assuming, Central Park, but I may be wrong. I don't know if it's Central Park, but they're walking through... I mean, through... there are a lot of parks. Yes. They're walking through a park, and there's a young lady sitting on the bench, and this whole time, all Ajax talks about is women. That's all he talks about, and if you are not, like, 100% on board with his, like, raging hormones, he uses a slur at you to insinuate that you do not like ladies. And he uses it repeatedly. This is what we're talking about, about this movie not really holding up. But he decides that he wants to, instead of he's done fighting, he's going to get a little exercise. Even though he just ran like a mile being chased by baseball guys and then fought against all of them. He needs more exercise. So he's going to hang out because he says to AJ, uh, Swan, he's like, haven't you heard the parks ain't safe after dark? Well, it turns out that it was just a, 
a scam. It, it was basically like an entrapment thing. One of those like underground, uh, not underground, undercover, undercover cop type things. Yeah. Because she's like, ooh, look at all your muscles. I bet the chicks like all those muscles. Ooh, you want to show me how you play with the chicks? And then he grabs her. And this is a scene that we didn't see for a long time when I was younger because usually we saw it on TV. He grabs her right on the boob. And obviously they would cut that for TV. And he's very aggressive. And she's like, hey, stop. You know, don't do this. And, you know, I've changed my mind. And he's like, oh, I like it rough. So she handcuffs him to the bench, you know, uh, whistles for backup. They come. He punches one of the cops. The other cop drills him in the, in the sternum to the point where he, you know, probably breaks a rib and he's bleeding. And with his last, because he was probably the toughest one, he looks up at the cop, blood pouring out of his mouth, and just goes, fucking wimp. You know, that was, he called everybody wimps. So Cowboy and and Snow is like, you know, we better go back and check on him. And Ajax, uh, I keep calling him Ajax. And Swan's like, okay, I'll go find the others. You guys go check on him and bring him back. And that's what I was talking about. Like, Ajax is a grown-ass man. He's like, you want to stay here? You want to... You, you know, instead of supporting us and coming with us and continuing with fight and going back home, they even, you know, Snow even tells him, he's like, come on, man, there's women back home. He's like, whatever, I'm going to go get laid. You guys go, you know, screw yourselves because I'm going to get laid. And that's all that matters to me. Fun fact, though, the cop that laid out Ajax was actually supposed to be Ajax, the actor. Mm-hmm. Um, but they thought that he was like, I'm trying to look up his name right now. Um, they felt that he was too big and too old to play the demographic that they were looking to portray. Well, I mean, Tony Danza was originally uh, up for one of these roles. I think he was either up for Cowboy or Vermin. All I could find is Tony Danza was up for the lead. Well, I'm just trying to remember. But what... I think he was up for Vermin. I'm trying to remember what because we we did the VIP thing three years ago right. too, and I'm trying to remember what they said. I think it was Vermin because Terry Michos was at uh, this particular um, convention, actually Super Mega Fest again, and he uh, he mentioned that he's like, oh, I'm kind of glad he took, you know, I think it was Taxi. Taxi, yep. He goes, I'm glad he took Taxi because you know I got a chance to be in this cult film, which is you know pretty awesome. So. Now everybody's split up, and Snow, um, I'm sorry, Swan meets up with Mercy. And, you know, they walk through the subway together, and they end up, like, kissing. And then uh, he's like, you know what, I can't be, you know, get away. He's like, you're just like everything else that happened to me tonight, and it's all bad. Because he, you know, he sees her, and and he just judges her as to who she is without really knowing her. And she's, like, actually, and she kind of leans into it, because she even says to her, she goes, Friday nights are good. Saturday nights are better. And he's like, I don't think you can remember who you get on Friday on Saturday night. And she's like, sometimes I can, sometimes I can't. Who gives a damn? So the character of Mercy was actually supposed to end up with Fox. Fox wasn't. Fox's fate was not supposed to be of the fate that he actually. What does a fox say? Oh shit! I got hit by a train. <laughs> yeah, no, that, that was not supposed to happen initially. Uh, fox was supposed to end up with Mercy. However, because they they did a lot of stuff before filming to kind of get the main characters to get to know each other, and uh, they actually, if I if my notes are correct, they had them take like a a stuntman boot camp type thing like the they put the cast through stunt school because the director wanted realistic fights depicted in the film so you know the cast had a chance to bond and 
the actress who played Mercy and Michael Beck, who played Swan, actually just had a really, really, really good relationship off film. And they felt that that would play really well on screen. So they decided to change the script. Yeah, and kill Fox off. And- yeah, like they really, they liked the chemistry that they had off screen and said, you know, what, I feel like this chemistry would translate more to the chemistry between Mercy and, and Fox. Right. Because initially, Swan was supposed to be captured by a rival homosexual gang known as the Dingoes, only to escape later. And if I remember correctly, I think that was the same gang that Kevin Bacon was supposed yep. to be in. Yep. Which, that would have been interesting. And that would have been two that... years before his film debut in Friday the 13th. Yep. So we see now, we see, uh, it cuts over to the adventures of Rembrandt, Cochise, and Vermin. And these ladies have taken them back to their place. And he's like, where are you? And, you know, Cochise is like, where's your dudes? Chicks like you always got dudes around. And the, the one girl's like, they're lame, real cripples. And it's like, again, not something that you generally hear well, it's, now. Yeah, it's different slang terms back then. So they end up, they're like, oh, what? And Vermin's like, oh, I like this. Like, what outfit is this? And she's like, we're the Lizzie's. And like the way she says it and like her, the way she uh, opens her eyes when she says it, it's like, she's clearly like sending you a message that they're bad. And he's just like, hey, whatever. Because she's like... Yeah, fall out, relax, take your pick. Like, just like grab a girl, start making out. And the only one who doesn't, like, as soon as she says that, she's like, yeah, pick pick any girl you want and, like, start hooking up. And Vermin Re- and, and Cochise, Cochise, they're like, okay. And Rembrandt's, Rembrandt's like, like eh. when can we go home? <laughs> like, he comes, he comes over to Cochise. He's like, when are we going to leave? Cochise's like, what? What are you talking about? Like, he wasn't even paying attention to him. And then it turns out, that they are trying to get the, for lack of a better word, bounty on them. And they start shooting at them. And they're like, oh, so you're the famous warriors, the guys that shot Cyrus. And they're like, what? But like, again, Vermin and Cochise don't hear this because no blood's going to their ears. Uh, and then <laughs> poor Rembrandt gets slashed across the arm. And they end up running out. Cochise uh, busts a chair over a girl's head and then busts through the bolted door. Um, it's, go ahead. So Vermin was actually scripted to be killed by the Lizzies. But Terry Michos, who played Vermin, made his character more comical to make it more memorable and to get more on-screen appearances in the film, which obviously which worked to his favor, and they took the death scene out. Yeah, because he makes it to the end. Yes. Um, so... They escape and they're like, like, oh shit, Like every gang in the city is looking for us because they think we killed Cyrus. So they're like, all right, let's get to the station. Let's meet up. And somehow right. Mercy... And that's crazy because they had no fucking idea why they were being hunted down by Only all these Fox gangs. Only Fox knew. They just assumed that the truce was off. Right. Right. They just assumed that the truce was off and they were in em- enemy territory and that's why they were being singled out. That's why they, they were being hunted. But they had no fucking clue up until this point that they were being singled out and hunted because everyone thought they shot Cyrus. Yeah, and Fox didn't tell anybody. Like, he took that to his grave. Like, he got chucked in front of a subway train. But he had like, ample why? opportunity to say something. Right, but it's like, why wouldn't you say anything? 
It's like, hey, guys, I, I saw who shot Cyrus. Maybe he just assumed they all knew. I mean, maybe, but... Like, it's entirely possible. So they all meet up, and Swan's walking through this station all by himself, and there's... Again, the times are different. There's a guy in overalls on roller skates menacingly following him, or as menacing as you can be on roller skates wearing overalls. And we're not even talking, like, roller blades. We're talking about, like... It's 1979. four-wheeled roller skates. Yes. And he's... And, again... Overalls. Like, let's all go to the skate rink and skate in circles to the soundtrack of Xanadu. Everyone like. shoot the duck. <laughs> so, they uh, he's following, he's walking through, and then, like, Mercy shows up, because Mercy just kept following him. And she's like, that dude over there on the skates, he's after you, and he's got some guys with him. And he turns to her, and he goes, and this is where, like, seeing this uncensored is so much different than seeing it on TV because on TV he's like, I know it. And now they know I know it. But he says to her, he goes, I know they're on my ass. And he looks over right at him, looks back at her, and now they know I know it. She's like, so what are you going to do? And just then, all his friends show up. Like uh, Snow and Cowboy come in down one flight of stairs and they had met up with... Rembrandt and Cochise and Vermin, and they, they look over, and Swan looks at him and, like, kind of nods towards the guys, and then, like, nods towards the bathrooms, like, hey, let's go into the bathrooms, and, like, we'll make our stand there. And, like, they go over there, and Mercy's like, I can't go in there. That's the men's room. And then Vermin, again, trying to be comedic, goes, are you kidding? And, like, grabs her and yanks her in. And then they have, like, one of the best fight scenes. And it's crazy because, so the entire film had been filmed on the streets of New York. For this scene, this was the only scene that had been shot on a soundstage, like on a on a set that they actually built. And it makes sense because of all of the destruction that happens in this one specific scene. And they had to really, like, they were all hiding in stalls, but they... If you if you look at the opening scene, like, you see the toilets in the stalls, but afterwards there are no toilets because some of them, like... They get busted through the door, they get thrown, they get flipped, and if there was a toilet there, they'd break bones, ribs, spines. So they took that out and kind of made it so like the stunts would be a little safer to do. You can actually, uh, when you see the way, uh, this this gang is called the Punks, and you see them kind of... Because like, when I think of Punks, I think of yeah. overalls and roller skates. So, yeah, uh, that's what they call themselves. Hey, whatever. So they stand outside, you know, there's nine or ten of them and at this point there are seven warriors because they've lost cleon so six they've lost cleon they've lost fox and they've lost ajax so there's six of them in mercy and as you you see the uh the shot from behind all these guys standing there one of them is clearly wearing like a pad under his overalls you can see like the the tailbone pad because it looks very similar to what i used to wear for football so you can obviously see that, but whatever. It's still an amazing fight scene. Like, the guy with the skates goes to kick Cowboy, and Cowboy moves, so he kind of, like, kicks through the door, and his foot gets stuck. Not even that. Vermin getting thrown it's, into the mirrors. It's funny. We uh, When we were at the VIP thing a couple years ago, we asked, because my dad asked, like, was, you know, I was like, do you have any questions you want to ask the Warriors, you know, while I'm when I go there? And he, and he asked about that. And I asked Terry Michos, and he goes, because I'm not sure if it's Mikos or Michos. It's M-I-C-H-O-S. I'm not sure. So 
He says, of course, you got to ask me about the one stunt that I didn't do because Vermin gets punched and then the guy picks him up and throws him into a couple of mirrors that shatter and he like bounces off the sinks that are underneath. And you can tell if you look, it's definitely not Terry Michaud's. But um, there's one dude that's on the uh, that's on the punks and it's the only black guy that's on their on their uh, in their gang. And I think he gets it worst of all. He gets elbowed in the head. He gets punched in the head. One point, Cochise grabs him by the head and gives him a running bulldog into the tile wall and just fucking bounces his head off it. And then later, Snow punches him and like he spins around. And like when he spins around, his face bounces off the tile wall again. Oh, the Cochise hits him. And then Snow breaks a bat over his ribs. Like he just gets that one dude gets fucked up and of course like rembrandt once again does nothing to help anyone like the guy with the skates has a switchblade and he opens up the bathroom stall and uh rembrandt sprays him in the face with spray paint and punches him i mean that's something that's helpful right but then that guy gets up punches him once and he's done he sits on the floor next to mercy rembrandt's probably like maybe 95 pounds soaking wet i don't care they're all 95 pounds soaking wet yeah even so Mercy was... grabbed a guy and bit yeah, him. Yeah, but we know Mercy's really scrappy. So. Right. But this is a guy in a gang. Like, he's perfectly... F- he's not injured. Yeah, but we he's... don't know... We don't know how long he's been in the gang. We don't know if... if... He sits on the floor and watches his friends get the shit kicked out of him. Because every one of them gets... Like, standing right in front of him, a guy grabs Swan, and another dude proceeds to pummel the shit out of him. And he just sits there going, Oh, mercy me! Oh, I don't know what I should do! He just sits there. It does nothing. Doesn't help. It's nine on three at this point. He just stands there. The only guy who doesn't get touched is Cowboy. Cowboy does not get touched in that entire scene. Everybody else gets fucking wrecked. One of my favorite parts of that, though, is uh, Cochise uh, wraps a, a chain around a guy's neck and flips him over his back. Great stunt work on that. So they end up winning, and then they make it to the subway, and they're all, like, beat up, and they're, like, falling asleep on each other. Like, Cowboy's curled up on the on one of the, on the, the bench, like snuggling his baseball bat that he still has that he didn't deserve because he didn't help at all during the Baseball Furies fight. He's like, oh, I softened up this bat with my face. But he's sitting there, he's snuggling it. He's got it, like, got it between his knees and he's got his arms wrapped around it. He's sleeping. Everybody's like exhausted and dirty and beat up. And then we see these two prom couples get on the train. And this is a really interesting scene to me because... It's actually one of my favorite scenes. To me, it highlights who Mercy really is because she looks at them and she sees them wearing their nice dresses and their fancy suits. And she's, you can tell she's looking at them with like a look of that could have been me. A longing. Yes. Long, like like could have been me I, I had things gone could slightly have been that. different. Like I talk a big game about how I enjoy my life, but like I could have had that. But not only that, she sees how pretty these girls are. And, you know, how clean they are at this point. And, you know, they have nice jewelry and their hair is all done up. And she just she just looks at them like, you know, I want to be like that. But at the same time. And then 
at that moment she goes to because she's very you know she's very dirty she's very unkempt like her stockings are ripped you know her dress is ripped she's not wearing stockings at this point i thought she was wearing stockings because they look up and down her legs and she's just dirty okay she's just dirty i mean she's got like blood on her and dirt and like first of all poor mercy poor uh God, what's Deborah her name? von Valkenberg. Because not only did uh, Michael Beck at one point accidentally swing a bat into her face, which she was rushed rushed to the hospital at 3 a.m. for. It must have been during that uh, punk scene. And she still has a scar because of it. But at one point, it was the scene where Fox took her and dragged her. The stunt double for the actor playing Fox Thomas Waits grabbed her the wrong way or didn't let go when he was supposed to of her wrist and she actually broke her wrist so in the scenes where she's wearing the jacket that's why that's why because it's hiding the cast yeah I had heard about that like, yeah, so so like in the, not only was the character of Mercy pretty, you know, scrappy and and banged up and scraped up and whatnot, but the actress playing her had really been put through it at that point. See, and they they covered it really well in the movie because you know, it, uh, Swan even asked her, was like, "Where'd you get this?" And she's like, oh, "I stole it." Cops are looking for somebody in a pink top, so she grabs like this denim jacket and she's wearing that over. Right, but but it fits, dress. yeah. Some, some, someone's looking for someone in a pink top, you like know? Like, they, they so, address that continuity, like, yeah, why yeah. are you wearing this all of a sudden? And it makes sense. So knowing knowing what we know now makes that scene all so much more effective. She's looking at this glamorous couple, and she she realizes the state that she's in, and she goes to brush her hair out of her face and just try to make herself look in her eyes try to make herself look presentable to be in the 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 company of these two glamorous couples and swan just grabs her hand very gently and puts her hand back down like there's no need for this right i love that so much it's kind of like his way of saying no you're you're perfect the way you are you don't need to be like that see i was looking at it uh because i've seen the scene probably a thousand fucking times when she's doing that she's like i'm all dirty and beat up but like you're not you're not better than me you're not like you just you know you had different circumstances to where you were born like you're not better than me and you know look i'm just as as pretty and glamorous as you and then swan doing that i agree with that it's like you don't you don't need to do that there's a lot of unspoken it's like you don't have anything that you need to prove to these people right you know like you don't owe anybody anything, and I believe that that's he says so much by not saying anything at all, right. just by taking her hand and putting it down. Like I, that's one of my favorite scenes of the film. I think it just it speaks volumes. So there's there are several uh, like interlude scenes that we see through, and they usually take place back to back to back. You know, when we're not focusing on the warriors, it's the uh, leader of the Gramercy Riffs being given updates every time the warriors get past another another gang and then updates going out on the radio and we also see Luther played by David Patrick Kelly who's fucking awesome you might know him from The Crow and from uh from uh John Wick 2 
He played one of the, the hobo guys that was working for uh, Lawrence Fishburne. And he was also in 48 Hours with James Ramar. He's continually checking in on what's going on like through pay phones. He's talking to different uh, whoever is back at his headquarters or whatever. Someone who knows what's going on. So we get to see a little bit of exposition dumps. And then towards the end, we see someone uh, find come to the Gramercy Rift saying they know who shot Cyrus. And this is somebody we haven't seen before. We have no idea what his affiliation is, but like he wants to make sure. He's like, you know, word finally got to him. It's like, no, no, the Warriors didn't shoot Cyrus. It was, it was this guy. So finally, the rogues are out there looking for the Warriors as well because if they can shut the Warriors down before they get home or before they can shoot their mouths off and be like, no, 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 it wasn't us. We had nothing to do with this. You know, it's in their best interest to find and kill the Warriors. So they all end up meeting up at Coney Island. Like, they're walking and... Which is crazy because Coney Island is the home base of the Warriors. So when they get to Coney Island, they think that they're safe. They think that they're, you know, we're home, we're safe, we have nothing to worry about. You know, at this point, the sun is starting to rise. You know, it's a new day. We're good to go. And that's completely not the case because they get ambushed on their own turf. Right. And so they're walking and they're walking to like like a little sheltered area. And obviously they can hear the car behind them because they drive this graffitied up hearse. Oh, it's so cool looking. It is really cool looking. Um, and they finally park it. And this is where we get that amazing scene that you heard uh, coming back from break. Warriors come out to play. Where David Patrick Kelly is clinking three glass beer bottles onto his hands. Uh, on his fingers, just clinking them all together. And I was telling Ashes last night that I used to, uh, when I was a kid, I used to try to recreate this with soda bottles, but I not was that, too small. Well, and, and, and not the same effect. Either. No, plastic's but, not going to make the same noise. But it still made an interesting are. sound. It's still, you know, you you clink together the the plastic soda bottles. You still get some. And that sound. whole thing was improvised. That's what's so crazy, you know. He improvised that entire scene, that entire line. He saw in the script what he was supposed to say and what he was supposed to do. And he was just like, that doesn't feel right. That doesn't, that just doesn't sound right to me. And was like, let me, let me try something. Let me do something. And he was actually mimicking a neighbor of his that used to taunt him. And so that's where we got, get this iconic warriors come out to play that is just when you think of the warriors you think of two things you think of can you dig it and come out to play and come out to play i do want to uh just throw out there if you're unfamiliar with all those movies that i mentioned he was also in commando he was the guy hey sully remember when i told you i'd kill you last i lied he always plays a bad guy uh usually he's just like kind of typecast he's got that voice um, He's got that look about him, but in this film especially, and I believe this is his first film, he just has that that just squirrely, just manic look to him. Like, like he's, he's a guy trying... who can snap at any second, right? But like you know, you you could take him, but at the same time, you really wouldn't want to mess with him because you don't. He's a little crazy no, guy that you don't want right. to fight. You don't know what he's going to do, what ex- 
exactly he's capable of doing. Like he might pull a Mike Tyson and bite your ear off. Right. Like you you physically could absolutely take him. Like fuck, I physically could take him. He's um, like five foot nothing, a hundred and nothing. Like right. the only guy who couldn't beat him in this entire movie is probably Rembrandt. Rembrandt yeah. <laughs> but at the same time, you wouldn't want to go up against him because you don't exactly know he what would not state fight of conventionally. mind. Right. Like you don't know what state of mind he he'll be in at that time. So uh but yeah, just oh it just makes for a very brilliant, well done scene. So they finally uh both gangs arrive on the beach. You know, we've got the ocean waves breaking against the sand. And uh, that's when Swan delivers the line, when we see the ocean, we figure we're home. We're safe. And then Luther turns to him and he goes, this time you got it wrong. And he turns back and Swan looks at him and says, why'd you do it? Why'd you waste Cyrus? And he says, no reason. I just like doing things like that. And Swan's like, all right, let's do it. Me and you, one-on-one, let's go. And as we said, you know, Swan's been fighting all night, you know, at greater odds and with much uh, more formidable opponents. So when he challenges Luther, he knows he's going to beat Luther until Luther pulls out a gun. Now, at this point, we've already said there's six warriors and mercy. You know, six bullets, six warriors. And then there's still, you know, eight other guys in with uh, Luther. And so Luther pulls out a gun and he said the same gun that he used to shoot Cyrus. He goes, you're dead. All of you. And you know it. You're dead. And then Mercy screams Swan's name because she's afraid he's going to get killed. But he moves to the side, pulls out his switchblade, and throws it directly into Luther's forearm, causing him to drop the gun. This is where movie physics kind of, you know, you you play with the physics and the suspension of disbelief. Because Rembrandt was standing right behind him, and Rembrandt should have been shot. And it's funny because as they pan over all the warriors, like, they're all making their mean game face. And, like, Rembrandt's trying to make his scary face, and it's like... You know, when you see a puppy make, like, a little growl face, you're just like, Oh, I'm so scary. And it's like, you're not you're so not intimidating scary. whatsoever. But he's also not, like, cute like a puppy. But So at this moment, we see the leader of the Gramercy Riffs yell his catchphrase, Yeah, Riffs! And they're all like, yeah, right! And there's, like, a hundred fucking dudes. Just surrounding them. All wearing black on the beach. And there's just... just all these guys, they all have like machetes and swords and hockey sticks and nunchucks and bats and chains. And they're just like, it's like, fuck. <laughs> so they show up. They all walk down the beach and the leader looks at Swan. Swan goes, you still looking for us? And he goes, we found who we're looking for. Luther's like, no, it wasn't us. It was them. Yeah, it was the, the warriors. warriors. And, like, he's so white. It's like, oh, I fucking punch this guy. And he looks at him and he goes, he looks at Swan and goes, you warriors are good. Real, Real good. good. And then Swan hikes up his pants to make room for his giant fucking balls because this is the number one line in the movie. So they're surrounded by a hundred of these guys who have wanted nothing more than to fucking kill them, and they pay them a compliment. Like, you're real good. He looks at him and goes, the, the best. best. And oh, it's so it's good. So it's so good. good. But, like, that's, that's so it's so uh, fitting for Swan to say that, but at the same time, it's kind of it's uncharacteristic so of him because, yeah. 
you know, he's been so level-headed the entire night. Except for and- when he told when he looks over at the uh he when they meet with the orphans the first time, he's like no matter what he says, nobody lip off, nobody lip off, nobody get hot. And then at the end of it, he just looks at the guy and he just goes, "Fuck you." <laughs> Well, yeah, but the, but they were the orphans are a completely different story. They're so undeserving. Um, they're just, anyways. Um, but it's so it's so un- uncharacteristic of him. But at that point, you know, after fending off all of these other gangs the entire night, losing a couple of members, but keeping most of his members intact, you know, being the leader that they needed, and again, he started the night not leading this gang. Like, he was not the leader. He had not been the leader this entire time. And then all of a sudden, you know, their their leader dies. He's beaten to death. So now he is the leader. By the very guys who are currently surrounding them. Paying them compliments. And that's the thing. You know, so at, at that moment, you know, for him to say something like that, it's just, it's perfect. Yeah, I think it really sums up who he is. So And it's warranted. Absolutely. Right. So... We've we focused a lot on some of the characters, you know, Swan, Vermin, uh, you know, because we talked about how your your love for Rembrandt, yeah, Rembrandt, (laughs) not a great character. In the book, his name is Lunkface. So 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 Rembrandt is better. Yeah, Rembrandt is much because he's a (laughs) a painting guy. Well, and fun fact: so when they were initially doing uh, some markings and some photos and whatnot, they actually painted a W over a gang's symbol, like their marked territory. Yeah, and it pissed the gang off. So what they did was, in order to kind of make a truce between the filmmakers and cast and set crew and the gang, they paid them and told them that they could be in the film. So I yeah. believe they are in the initial part uh, representing they used a lot of They used a lot of gangs in that huge uh, conclave scene. And, with, and with it was Cyrus. pretty much to keep the peace yeah. between them and Like they were doing and raffles and giveaways yeah. and shit like that. Yeah, yeah. It, was, it, it was to keep the peace, ultimately, yeah. because they knew that they were going to be filming in all of these different gangs' territories, and they didn't want any issues. Right, so they wanted the to more people they the could include, right, the more people they could include, the more people they could pay off in stuff, the better, because the director really wanted that authentic New York gang feel to it. And... Uh, he achieved it. Yeah, Walter Hill. Absolutely. He absolutely achieved it. Um, these characters are great characters. It's char- characters that, you know, we still quote, we still talk about. Uh, the Warriors is a film that is referenced in a bunch of different media and stuff, even today. Yeah, I mean, there's you know, a uh, PlayStation mu- 2 video game. Right, you know, music videos and even other films reference certain parts of this film. Yeah. Yeah, there's it's it had a huge cultural impact despite uh, being pulled from theaters relatively quickly because it caused uh, they said it caused a lot of like violence between different gangs and and whatnot. So it was pulled from theaters, so it really never got a chance in the theater. But it ended up being a cult hit, and it's such a a, a huge thing that you know made so much impact that. <clears throat> Again, like we're talking about it 40 years later, and this is a movie that was in the theaters for like a week. A little longer than that. Right, but I'm saying like... Right, but still, it didn't have the time that other films 
during that time were having in the theater. Now, like I was saying, you know, when we were talking about Walter Hill, some of the stuff that he's worked on, um, obviously the Warriors, he directed 48 Hours, again, with very similar crew. Uh, Streets of Fire, which had Deborah Von Valkenberg in it, Brewster's Millions, Red Heat, which was a, a great, uh, it was the uh, Jim Belushi, Arnold Schwarzenegger film. Uh, he directed some episodes of Tales of the Crypt. Uh, another 48 Hours, he did, uh, he produced Aliens. Uh, he he also um, has a bunch of writing credits, like, um, uh, let's see, what do we got? Oh, obviously the Warriors. Uh, 48 Hours, Streets of Fire, Aliens, like that's part, that's like his story. Alien 3, he wrote the screenplay for. So he's got a lot of, uh, a lot of like writing and and directing influence on pop culture. So, you know, definitely make sure you familiarize yourself with with Walter Hill's filmography. But yeah, we focused a lot on certain characters because really some of the other characters didn't get as much uh, development you know, like Cochise and Snow and Cowboy didn't get much development because it was really Swan's story or Swan's song. Ooh. Oh, there um, we go. And, you know, Swan and, and Mercy and, you know, like you said, Ashes, um, Terry Michaud's really made himself more visible by adding some comedic elements to the film as much as he could. But I don't think his character had much uh, in the way of development other than he had more lines than he could have like if cowboy never spoke i think he had like you know four or five lines like he really didn't say much you know like most of his stuff was at the beginning asking people what they knew about cyrus right well and and some of these characters i don't want to say they weren't important but they definitely weren't as important as other characters they were not as impactful like they were definitely yeah i'll give you that they had their their purpose they were there like they served their purpose but like they didn't like Snow didn't Some do characters... much. Brian Tyler's character, unfortunately, he was a cool character and he played it well, but he wasn't given much to do. Some characters had a bigger purpose than others in this film. And when you're given a film that is short to begin with, and it's kind of funny that we're saying a 90 minute film is short, but in the age of films being towards the three hour mark or over today, right? Or I would say or over the three hour mark, you know, that's kind of where we're at these days. Um, so, you know, they did what they could with the time that they had and with the, you know, script that they were, they were given and with the adjustments that were made, I think that the characters that were brought to the forefront were deserving of that. And the actors who portrayed these characters like Michael Beck did a really great job. Right. I think with, uh, the, the source material, especially when you're introducing dozens and dozens of characters and you have to really try to give everybody equal footing um it's tough to do but i think walter hill did a good job and the actors did a good job with the roles that they were given my only complaint is that i would have liked a little bit of more james ramar yeah um i mean he like you said he almost wasn't in it he only got the role because the guy who auditioned well uh, actually quite he got the role because he was reading the scene for the the bench cop scene, the scene yes. where he's arrested. And he's reading the scene and he's reading through it and he reads the part that he gets uh, handcuffed and when he's supposed to kind of go crazy and ape shit and try to, 
you know, detach himself from the bench that he's handcuffed to. Yeah, he lugs he that bench. actually lifted the table. So he's reading at this table with all of the producers and the director and some of the script supervisors and whatnot. You know, whoever else is of importance is there. And they were at this table and apparently this table was rather heavy. He lifted the table up. Getting into this character, reading for this character, reading the scene, lifted the table up in rage. Did he lift the table up? Shut up. I'm trying to get, (laughs) I'm trying to engage our audience. I'm trying to get them to go on, on, on a, on a, on a story with me. I'm trying to get them to. This isn't very heavy. This is a fucking card table. The cats could lift this table up. Probably. Rembrandt could lift this table up. Right. Rembrandt could lift this table up. But, anyways, that's what got him the part. You know, him showing. Not only that he could he could deliver the lines, but he really had the the chutzpah, the unhinged like emotional that Ajax has. Yes, because you know Ajax is the muscle of of the warriors. Yeah, he's he was told just to soldier and keep his mouth shut. Vermin is the bearer. Bear, not bearer. Bear. It was bearer. No, it's bear. Bear. You know, but. Ajax was one of their top soldiers. Right. He, he was, was he was the muscle. He he's was tough, he's strong. And uh, he has no issue telling you how tough and strong he is. Right. And but his But he also has a mouth on him. And his uh um his instability and his impulsivity really got him in trouble. Like that's what ultimately ended uh ended him up getting him in, getting him arrested. Right. Right, because he was an asshole. He had to prove how tough he was and how much of a man he was. And, mm-hmm. You know, so. <clears throat> his biggest gift was his ultimate downfall. Yeah, he was a very flawed, tragic character. Yes. So, uh, I hope you really enjoyed that conversation about the Warriors, because, uh, again, this is something that we could just keep talking about. And, you know, we figured that the best way to do it was kind of like break it down scene by scene and talk about how the characters interacted with each other and what they did uh, in each scene to kind of give give you an idea of who they are if you're unfamiliar with this film. If you are unfamiliar with this film, familiarize yourself with it. It's awesome. It's such a cult classic. Um, I definitely recommend it. Ashes, I know you do too. We've watched it a ton of times. We're going to be watching it again in a couple of days at Super Mega Fest. But I think with that being said, we'll take a quick break. And when we come back, we'll talk a little bit more about Super Mega Fest and uh, give you a little more about what we're going to be doing and uh, what we're going to be covering in the next couple of weeks. And a new battle! And a new battle. So we will be right back. Hey there, this is JB. And if you enjoy Tales from the Crypt, then check out my show, Tales from the Podcast, where myself, and usually a very special guest, sit down to discuss the TV show, the films, the animated series, as well as the original comics. So check me out every other week on iTunes, Stitcher, Spotify, Google Play, and of course, at TalesFromThePodcast.com. Thanks for listening, kiddies. You're all a scream. <laughs> well, hello there, neighborinos. The handle's Mr. Most Days Off, but my friends call me Miles, and I'm the host of the Best Darn Diddly Review Show. Hello, Mr. Most Days Off. <laughs> 
And that's my best friend, Richie the WizKid, the co-host of Best Darn Diddly. Hi ho there, podcast arenas. The Best Darn Diddly Review Show is a weekly journey through the entire Simpsons series, hosted by us, two guys who grew up loving The Simpsons. We discuss every diddly, every doodly, and every go! So lace up your assassin sneakers, put on your skin-tight ski suit, and head down the slopes with us at Best Darn Diddly. Stupid, sexy, best darn diddly. You can catch us each and every Monday on bestdarndiddly.com. That was the uh, Baseball Furious Chase song. It's also like basically the Warriors' main theme over the opening credits too, but uh, it's just it's so much better as the uh, Furious Chase song. That's by uh, Barry Devorzon, uh, and it's my favorite song on the soundtrack. So, like we said, we're going to be uh, doing some stuff, but we have a new battle. We have a new battle. So, uh, Ashes, uh, this was your brainchild. So. Uh, please explain to the folks what the uh, new well, battle is. Why don't is. we play? I was going to say right after we play theme. the Enchanted Exile battle theme. All right, so Ashes, what do we have for a battle this week? So we have the Rumble South of the Bronx. Akka bop to the top. Oh, I, I, thought we just, <laughs> I thought we said not bop to the top. That well, that's why fucked. I called it the Rumble South of the Bronx. Oh, Akka bop to the top. I like bop to the top. We're going to bop to the top. Well, no, they keep not. calling them the Warriors. All right, boppers. Okay, boppers. We're going to bop them. We're we're gonna bop them. That's what we're gonna do. Yeah, we're gonna bop them. So rumble south of the Bronx. We have the Warriors versus the Street Sharks. You remember those guys? Versus the Biker Mice from Mars. And? Versus the Dancers from the Michael Jackson's Beat It video. Because those were actual gang members. Uh, not all the dancers, but they were actual gang members. Really? Yeah, that wanted to be in the video. So uh, it's a similar thing to how the, when they were filming the Warriors with gang members, um, they actually had gang members as extras. Again, providing security and stuff. So the location is the Wonder Wheel at Coney Island. In the shadow of the Wonder Wheel. 
at Coney Island because you get to see the Wonder Wheel at the beginning. It's a it's a Ferris wheel. But yes, yeah, so we have the Warriors versus the Street Sharks versus the Biker Mice from Mars versus the Dancers from the Michael Jackson's Beat It video. Yeah, see, I I have a, a tough time picking a winner in this because I I don't. I have these strained loyalties here. Like, do I go with the Warriors and forsake the Sharks and Michael Jackson? Or do I pick one of those and forsake the Warriors and one of the other ones? It's tough for me. What about the biker mice from I Mars? I give a, a wet rat fart about the biker mice from Mars. I did not watch that. I don't care even a little bit about them. So I have no... I have. I, Why don't you tell us how you really feel, Patrick? Well, I am... Uh, I am none too pleased and actually i have no strong opinions one way or the other so what else, what else we had to come coming attractions that we got right? so this weekend saturday and sunday november 16th and 17th we are going to be partying with the warriors for their 40th anniversary at super mega fest that's right you uh already heard the ad that we played for super mega fest because they are doing the 40th anniversary reunion of the uh the cast of the Warriors. And that is going to be at the Sheridan in Framingham. Yes, the Sheridan Terra is what it's called. It's named after the place in um, Gone with the Wind. Okay. Fun fact. Uh, it's really not that fun, it's but okay. so fun. I had a good time with, uh, with, with knowing that. Yeah. So anyways, that's where we'll be. We'll be partying with the Dorkening, hanging out, doing some fun stuff. We Mike. also have a crazy fun Star Wars raffle going on right now. Have you seen the first episode of The Mandalorian on Disney Plus? Don't say Oh anything. my god, you guys. Oh, that yeah. ending. What? Yes. Gasp. So what? I had to push myself I had to push myself away from the desk to make room for my my uh, raging uh, nerddom. <laughs> You're raging nerdum, yeah. I'm a raging nerdum right now. But anyways, yeah. So that first episode was crazy. Right and the fact that you pretty much have everything Star Wars located all in one place now, thanks to Disney Plus, is just absolutely bonkers. And the new episode drops tomorrow. What? So wait, we're Friday. getting two episodes in one week? So we get the first episode on November 12th. When, when Disney Plus drops. Yep, and my Shark Bites Mandalorian episode dropped. Yeah. And then, uh, so I was off on several of my predictions, but you have to listen to find out. But we're getting another episode tomorrow, which is great. So we'll have two episodes because um, one of the things we're doing in between partying with the uh, the Warriors on Saturday night and going back to Super Mega Fest on Sunday night is we are taking a drive because coming around this area, we're not going to say where because we like him to maintain his privacy. Dominic Pace, who plays Gecko, the bounty hunter on The Mandalorian, we are going to interview him in person. And uh, he's actually going to join later on in the evening to uh, chat with me on, uh, or chat with us on um, Shark Bites to discuss the first couple of episodes of The Mandalorian. And where we think the show is going to go from there. He has a little bit more inside information than we do. but And then we're also going to be picking his brain about some of his other stuff because that's what we're talking about next week on this show. We're talking about some of the characters that we've met so far on The Mandalorian. Yeah, but getting back to Super Mega Fest and the whole Star Wars thing I was trying to talk about. Yes. 
We have a crazy raffle going on right now to benefit the Dorkening Network. We have a Star Wars basket that we've put together that is full of amazing Star Wars stuff. So not only do you have a Darth Vader bulletin board that is, the the artwork on it is super cool. You definitely want to hang that in your house. A Star Wars fleece blanket that is large enough to swaddle the biggest Wookiee of them all. Mm-hmm. A From lumpy to chewy. Lumpy to chewy. <laughs> we have a, and this is a thing I'm really excited about, and I may actually buy tickets to try to win this back. A Millennium Falcon waffle maker. The Grillennium Falcon. makes waffles in the shape of the Millennium Falcon. Right? That's a thing. That's happening. You could win that. That's crazy. It makes waffles in under 12 parsecs. It's crazy. We also have a 2019 Galactic Convention exclusive Princess Leia Funko Pop. Gold. Yeah, it's gold, and it looks really fucking cool. Again, I might be putting it from my own raffle basket to try to win that. We also have a Black Series Sith Trooper, which looks really cool. And I'm very excited to see some of these new figurines that are coming out for the new film because they're already looking so incredibly just just awesome. And we have a Jedi Force sign for your bedroom or whatever room you want to put them in. It's kind of like a street sign. It's a tin sign. It looks really cool. And included in that basket is also the trilogy, the OG trilogy on VHS for those who likes to to, to kick back with the, the VHS and kind of live it up a little nostalgia and whatnot. Um, we also have the Force Awakens Steelbook, Steelbook. which is crazy. And included in all of this, we have, like Patsy said, we're going to be driving out and visiting with Dominic Pace in person. He is giving us exclusive autographed Mandalorian memorabilia. Yeah, he he's going to have a bunch of uh, different pieces of art uh, that uh, various fans have done, and he's going to sign those for us and for our listeners. So there's going to be right. several of these. We're so going to be doing you some could other own, too. You could own, if you put in for this raffle basket and you win, you could own an autograph from one of the actors, a really cool actor playing a really fucking cool character. Tickets are $2 a piece or 10 for 10. So if you're going to be at Super Mega Fest, you can stop by the Dorkening Network booth and buy your tickets right there. Or if you find the post online, we've both been sharing it in both uh, the Throwdown Thursday groups and the Shark Bites group and on both of our personal pages on Facebook as well. We'll probably share it on Twitter and on Instagram. You can follow the PayPal link and give us money that way and buy your tickets that way as well. If you're not going to be at Super Mega Fest or if you just want to ensure that you, you know, have your tickets safe and sound and stuff. So definitely hit us up. $2 a piece or 10 for 10. Totally worth it. There's over $250 worth of prizes in that basket right now. And stuff is constantly being added. 
So yeah, we're getting donations. Don't from even other know. Folks. Yeah, we're getting donations constantly. Uh, it's growing and growing. It's definitely worth your money. So if you're interested, definitely come find us. Yeah, the link is paypal.me slash throwdown Thursday. Yes. And uh, we've done this in the past. If you um, if you don't have a PayPal account and you're not going to be there, you can also send money through Facebook Messenger. Whatever you send us, we will put your name on tickets and we will send you a picture of those tickets. Just to Oh, yes, sure. absolutely. We will definitely give you confirmation that we received your information, we received your money, and that you have actual tickets in the drawing. This is very similar to what we did for Scaricon when we had our, our raffle basket yes. with all the uh, merchandise in there. Yes, so. and it's going to be so cool. So definitely uh, get your money in, get your tickets. Give us some dollars and win some awesome fucking prizes there's pictures of everything on the uh on the post well so. i mean it's not everything it's but like mostly the figures everything, and but... the blanket and the grillinium falcon and the, the 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 cork board there and the uh may the force be with you street sign which is pretty fucking like i'm putting in for this like i don't i don't care i'm putting in for it too and i bought the stuff so. I want to win it. <laughs> I want that waffle maker. Potentially, um, we might be doing a second raffle with all the same stuff. <laughs> <laughs> but anyways, guys, all of the proceeds of this raffle goes to the Dorkin Network so we can continue to provide you with really, really, really cool quality content. And this and will help us go to different cons and cover more stuff and get you guys better content. Not just us, but everyone on the network. Right. I would say each show on the network. It's, it benefits everyone. So... Definitely give us your dollars and you could win some stuff. Yeah, there's there's some super awesome stuff in there. So uh, definitely check that out. And uh, we're also going to be at Wicked Weekend. December December's 6th, 7th, and 8th. Correct. At, was it Stafford? Stafford, Stra- Stafford Springs, Connecticut. Right. And that is shaping out to be a really cool event. I'm I'm not just saying that like it's going to be really freaking cool. Yeah, there's a there's a great lineup. Um there's going to be a bunch of different like, panels that uh, all of Rose us are going to be Rose is going to be there, Kane Hodder, uh the kid Tyler that is Main, from Pet Cemetery and not the shiny. Yes. <laughs> is going to be there. Not Danny Lloyd, Miko Hughes. You know, they have a an anniversary photo op of was it the 20th anniversary of Blair Witch, the Blair Witch yep, Project? Yep, 1999. Yeah, wow. Yep, yep, yep. Yeah, I remember when that came out. Um, it was kind of groundbreaking at the time. But anyways, you could get a photo op with the cast of the Blair Witch Project, which is just so cool. Uh, because at the time, we didn't realize it was an actual film. We thought it was a documentary. Found footage, like, for real. Yeah, yeah. We didn't realize they were actually actors. We thought it was, like, a real legit thing, which was kind of a cool marketing concept that uh, kind of paved the way for other marketing concepts mm-hmm. and stuff. Uh, viral viral marketing. J.J. Yeah. Abrams does that shit all the time. So, anyways, definitely, if you're interested... Check out, you can Google Wicked Weekend, check it out. They have a crazy amount of guests already booked We're, we're going to be posting um, links and stuff to it, of course. You know, all the Dorkening shows have been have been doing so. So you don't, uh, you can find it sprinkled throughout Facebook. Right, and I believe that's our last convention that'll, for the year. Yeah, so, because uh, we're already in November. We're already in mid-November. Guys, we're Jesus already in mid-November. Christ. 
Uh, Thanksgiving's in a couple of Two weeks. Two weeks to Thanksgiving. Like, that's crazy. Oh. Um, you know, and before we know it, it's going to be Christmas and New Year. And uh, yeah, so so Wicked Weekend is going to be our last convention for the year. We're already booking stuff into next year. We're already booking shows into next year. We have some really awesome stuff coming up for you guys. Like, I'm I'm really excited to share it with you all. Yeah, um, there's a, there's a, there's so much, and uh, again, if you uh, want to help support us, uh, you can always check out our uh, Amazon affiliate link on ThrowdownThursdayPodcast dot com. If you click on that before you do your Amazon shopping, you know maybe you've got some stuff that you want to get on Black Friday or Cyber Monday. Uh, click on that link; it doesn't cost you anything, but it kicks a little bit back to us, helps us out, helps us, uh, you know, keep the show running, get a, get new equipment. Or whatever we need, you know, food. I'm Why? so tired. I'm so tired of eating if cat you, food. If you don't eat cat food, my cat's you know breath of. smells like cat food. My breath smells like cat food. <laughs> or if you just want to send me wine, like that would be much appreciated. I'm always like open and welcome to to new wines. And uh, speaking of uh, supporting us, um, I don't, I don't talk about this a lot because I, I'm weird about promoting myself. I promote everybody else. But I have a short story in a collection called More Lore from the Mythos. And it's really good, you guys. She's not just saying that because I gave her a bottle of wine earlier. Um, I drank a lot of wine tonight. Our buddy Steve Van Sampson has a story in there as well. So, uh, And there are a lot of other really talented authors who contributed, yeah, who contributed to this anthology. It's a really interesting idea. His story, Mr. Patsy, the Angry Nerd, author Patrick Rahal, uh, has a really great short story in this anthology. And I'm not just saying that. Like, it's a, it's a really interesting take on... It's Lovecraftian a, horror. A, a creature story. Yeah, I'd say it's... Uh... It's. I liked it. You know, it. It definitely has more body horror than I'm used to. Yeah. So the anthology is called More Lore from the Mythos. If you look at it, uh, look it up on Amazon. You Search can... by my name, Patrick Rejo. Oh, you could do that too. That's I have an fun. author page. You can follow me and see my other oh, stuff. Oh, uh, ho, ho, ho. which I, I didn't have an have... author page. Well, I didn't until Steve was like, "Hey, do you have an author page?" And I'm like, "No." And he's like, "Well, you should because that way people can find this and any other books you're in because I have other stories that are going to be in anthologies coming soon." This is true. So if you search Patrick Rahal, you will find more lore from the mythos. Uh, it's definitely worth picking up. It is less than $14 with tax on Amazon for the paperback. Mm -hmm. Or you can get the Kindle for relatively cheap as well. So it's just the, the Kindle edition for relatively cheap. You can't get the Kindle. Kindles are kind of still pricey, but... Um, but anyways, definitely pick it up if you're interested. It would make a really good stocking stuffer, Christmas present. Books are cool. Reading is sexy. You know, all that stuff. Yeah. And plus, it, you know, if we do more of these, we get money. And if we get money, we can put out more books. So, you know, help us out and, uh, you know, read more. So reading is fundamental. It's a dollar ninety nine on Amazon Kindle right now. That's crazy. That's so cheap. You get fourteen stories. It's like three hundred pages. So I mean, if you like, if you like Lovecraft, definitely horror, worth it. Check it out. But I think with that being said, we, we will, will see you, you next Thursday. Thursday.